feel like we should have known this already Were we even taught this at all? And welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk about some things we should have learned in school but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we like to talk about uh, how we were adults and went out and did things twice in one week. It's like it's 2019 over here. Yeah. Which would be great because then we'd both be 34. But Mark would still be 24. <laughs> We also finished Love is Blind. Wait, no, we'd be 33. We'd also be bad at math. <laughs> Seriously, we realize, like, technically we're in year three of this bullshit now. But it's it looks like it's ending again, but there's also a you know another variant surging through China. So, yay. Yeah. Oh, guys. Guys. Make good just, choices. Just get vaccinated, you fucking morons. Get vaccinated. And if, you do, if you've been vaccinated and you get it, that really sucks, because I did. But you won't get it as bad, most likely. I mean, it sucks. It feels like the flu. It feels like a really bad flu. But, you know, you won't get as sick and take care of yourself and all that because people aren't getting vaccinated on un- purpose, not the ones who can't get yeah. vaccinated. That's the problem at this point. Ugh. Yeah. Um, but we also have decided we're going to start watching all of the Scream movies because yeah. we saw a preview for Scream 5 and we are like, or Scream, it's just called Scream. The, scre- the Scream reboot? It's not or, a reboot. It's I guess like, it's not a reboot. It's, it's a, like, I think the Scream, a continuation. like, I think it's the finale. I think it's like, this is. They, they've said that about a la- the last few Scream movies. Um, but they're calling this one just Scream again, like Scream. And I just, I love the preview. It's like, I'm Sydney Prescott. Of course I have a gun. (laughs) Now, I will say Jamie Lee Curtis is the ultimate final girl, but that's only because the Scream movies are meta. They are, there is some level of awareness that they are in a horror movie, which brings Austin and me back to our horror movie rules that we started writing years ago. Um, It's a combination of things to, oh, it's things to do to avoid being in a horror movie. It's like, if I recall, it's a list of... There's like 30-something things. I thought it was closer to 50. We'll have to check. Uh, the reason we don't have the list yet readily available is we used to have this cat who liked to pee on stuff, and he peed on our notebook full that had our uh, key ways to avoid being in a horror movie. So I think we need to add to it, don't have a cat that likes to pee on your ways to avoid being in a horror movie. We are going to be rewriting it because it's a very important list that we think we should have been taught in school. Oh, yes. How to avoid being in a horror movie. And then, of course, what to do once you believe you are in a horror movie. My rule is always stand on the throat. Yeah. Uh, yep. We also watched all of the Black Christmas movies. Yes. We don't know why. <laughs> they were They were movies. They were fun. They were like fun slasher movies. <laughs> they uh, did introduce us to, our, my, I think, my our, personal favorite line. Our new favorite phrase. You're a gold-plated whore, mother. <laughs> it's like, we just break that out once in a while. Just You're a gold-plated whore, mother. We, um, and the last one was like, it, it was one of those movies where you couldn't quite figure out if it was trying too hard or not trying hard enough to make its point. It was good. I actually enjoyed it. I don't think it deserves the Rotten Tomatoes rating uh-huh. it has, but... Yeah, it was definitely a movie where there was some stuff that should have been left as a subtext yeah. instead of just plastered all over several scenes. But we're very excited for the new Nicolas Cage movie. <gasps> yes. Um, it's called like the unbearable uh, weight of greatness. Something like that. Like like the horrible weight of unbearable talent or... Something like that, yeah. Oh, the unbearable weight of immense talent. Yeah, we've been like excited for this since the first preview came out. We were like, we don't care if this movie is good or bad. It's going to be amazing to us because we both love Nicolas Cage. But it got these like perfect South by Southwest reviews and has at least as of a couple days ago, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which never Ooh. happens. And Nicolas Cage is a genius. And you, I will fight you on that. I mean, Willy's Wonderland. Oh, that was so brilliant. Didn't say a word, but it, it just expressed so much. And then he agrees with us. He made a comment about this, that the movie Face Off has has aged perfectly. Yeah. Oh my God. It's such a good movie. It, is, it holds up. Anyway, uh, let's talk about the things we were supposed to learn in school and didn't learn. Oh, uh, our TikTok is still active. I just haven't had anything interesting to post lately. Um, I did create a post after I had an asthma attack being down there, but it deleted itself. So sorry about that. 
Um, I've never had an asthma attack before, so as of now, I'm going with either really dirty basement or ghosts gave me an asthma attack. Or dirty basement ghosts gave you an asthma attack. Well, I mean, they would technically be dirty basement ghosts. Like, like in the TV show Ghosts. Where they have the basement full of cholera ghosts or whatever. Oh, yeah. Maybe our basement is just full of cholera ghosts. I mean, I'm not going to rule that out. I do call it the murder basement because there is some stuff down there that looks a little murdery to me. Very murder. There's lots of like hooks and like weird things on this. Yeah, our house is a murder house, guys. Probably. Um, well, I'll start this week because we had an Austin-centric week last week. Uh, it was all him. He does have a piece this week, but we both, but I'm going to start. So... As I've mentioned before, I'm a writer, I'm an editor, I'm a former English teacher. I'm one of those people who would go around school, in high school, and correct the spelling on posters. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, and the teachers would be like, carry on, they didn't care. Um, I am one of those people who just kind of understood grammar, like innately it made sense to me, like math or music make sense to some people. She's like, she's basically the Mozart of grammar. So like, I was... You know, growing up, I'd be like, kids would be like, why do we have to learn this? I actually have the answer for you. Ooh, why? Is it because teachers need a break? Why would that take a break? I don't know. You just throw on a grammar video and go Conjunction, out and junction, coffee. what's that function? Yeah. No, I was so into teaching grammar. You tell them uh, I before E except after C and Which make them lie. completely unable to spell weird well into their adulthood. I did teach buffalo, 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 buffalo. I did not teach sentence diagramming, A, because it wasn't part of my curriculum, and B, because it's against my religion. I think, didn't you get like a, like a shirt or something to, like this year that was like, the coffee she had 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 no effect? Uh, a towel. It's in my office. Okay. Yeah. So I love grammar. And I remember being annoyed by kids growing up. Like, why do we have to learn this? Because to me, it was just, I always thought it was really obvious that you learn this so you like can speak and communicate well. As I've gotten older, my views on the whole thing have changed because I've learned that my experiences are not everyone's experiences. What? I know. Being a middle-class white girl doesn't apply to everyone. Um, I'm pretty sure that applies to everyone. Especially you. Especially me. Hey, I love my pumpkin spice lattes and mm -hmm. my Taylor Swift. I have accepted that I'm, in fact, a middle-class white girl. I just need to get you a pair of Uggs. I think you would love them. They look so comfortable, but I'm afraid You've stolen about... mine a couple of times so like, just to run outside real fast. Yeah, they are really comfortable. Like, they're like wearing slippers. Oh, like in that movie we watched, the Cameron, uh, Candace Cameron time-traveling Christmas movie where she couldn't understand why you would wear Uggs because they were just slippers that you would wear out of the house. <laughs> Guys, that movie was something else. It was like, it was one of those things that was almost a movie. It's like, it was... She was from World War II, and she was like, just like, oh no, what? This can't be. There's like all of this crazy future shit going on, but she couldn't accept the fact that her house was now a store, or that all this stuff was going on. But cars like, and cell phones? Totally fine. But like, it's like, oh, this black woman doctor that's treating me? Yeah, that's normal. But what do you mean this town has changed slightly? They don't decorate the gazebo? <laughs> Yeah, it's like, like there were so many. Okay, anyway, anyway. So I'm talking today about a very specific kind of grammar. I'm not talking about dialects, second languages. Austin can vouch for the fact that I say ain't. And I'm, I overuse the M dash big time. Tis true. I'm talking about the type of grammar that American schools teach. I'm talking about the type that is used in business contracts, things like that, and in law. I am not talking about the kind that's used in everyday conversation. I don't give a shit if you don't use perfect grammar in social media unless you're already trying to be pedantic, in which case I will rip you apart. The other day, somebody she literally texted me about how someone was correcting someone for their grammar using poor grammar and how it infuriated her. They were mean. They were mean. Like, they clearly had not read past the first four words of the post, which read me and my sister, which is not correct, but it's social media. The rest of it was this horrific story about a traumatic event that happened with her and her sister. And I think it was in a private group, so I'm not going to share the story, but it was horrific. And she went on this rant about how she sounded stupid for saying me and my sister. Meanwhile, this person isn't using capitalization, punctuation. The corrections she's making make the grammar actually worse. And so I went in there. I'm like, okay, first of all, I'm a professional writer and editor. I think you are being incredibly insensitive and inappropriate. 
But secondly, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. And I dissected her post, her, not, not the original posters, but the comment. And I was like, and that's my first pass. If you were one of my freelancers, I would send this back to you to fix it at no additional pay. For the OP, I would just make a couple of small corrections and pass it down the line. And uh, I got proposed to as a result. So. Yeah, I'm not jealous. <laughs> not jealous at all. So I'm, we, and we all know that grammar rules change the meaning of things in casual conversation. Like grammar is different in different situations. Like responding to a text with the capital letter K, a lowercase K, or whether or not you use a period after that K. Oh, using the period after that K? Especially after a lowercase K. That is petty. I fully remember the last time I did it. I remember it so well. It was to that person that you sent a much longer message to later on. Mm -hmm. And even though that particular person did not know the rules of social media, they knew that K. I use it very, very rarely. That was what, four years ago now? It's been, it's, it, and it's been many years. It's been one week since you looked at me. <laughs> um, so that K. But if you were just put it in writing, like on an academic paper, it would be just kind of wrong. Where in uh, real life, it's so very right in some cases. So grammar is situational. I am talking about what you, why you need to know how to use so-called correct grammar for the purposes of protecting your ass. So, oh, and I'm also going to be talking a little bit about semantics and vocabulary. Oh. So I just want to start with what the BBC... Buckle in, kids. I, I want to start with what the BBC said. Contract language is like software code. Do it right and everything works smoothly, but make a typo and the whole thing falls apart. So it is in software code. So it is in law. Let's start with the United States Tariff Act. Oh, as we as as with most th most things, we start talking about uh, the Tariff Act. Yeah, I mean that's Is a, this the uh, eighteen thirty two Tariff Act. Eighteen seventy two. Eighteen seventy two. Okay. Now I We're saw several. I saw several different variations on when it actually was first written. Um, apparently, it had first been written in the seventeen hundreds. Had been updated a few times. We have this eighteen seventy two Act. Now, it previous to this said. Fruit plants, tropical and semi-tropical, for the purposes of propagation and cultivation, had to pay tariffs. In 1872, it was updated. For, and Ulysses S. Grant included a, quote, free list, meaning that these specific items didn't have to be taxed when they came into the U.S. There had previously been a 20% tax on fruits like oranges, pineapples, lemons, and grapes, and a 10% tax on bananas, plantains, mangoes, coconuts, pomelos, and limes. Grant was removing that tax, so fruit plants were supposed to be untaxed. Fruit plants, that is important. The Tariff Act of 1872 was supposed to say fruit hyphen plants, which means plants that bear fruit. Yes? Yes. Now, more technically nowadays, we would say fruit bearing plants, but fruit plants, fruit hyphen plants. Even without the hyphen, you would, pretty, you would still understand that it means fruit bearing plants. Instead of the dash... They added a comma. Oh, no. So it read fruit, comma, plants, tropical and semi-tropical for the purposes of propagation or cultivation. Ultimately, it was successfully argued that the comma grammatically and accurately so meant that all fruits and plants imported for the propagation and cultivation were untaxed rather than just fruit plants. So every single plant, tropical or semi-tropical, that entered the U.S. based on that one comma had to remain untaxed. Originally, it was like, oh, stop being such a semantic asshole. And the courts threw it out. They were like, no. And they kept pushing it forward. Ultimately, refunds were issued in the amount of $2 million, which was $40 million as of 2015, from the U.S. government to the companies that were doing the importing. Wow. This was fixed in 1874. It took two years for them to realize how big of a, how much damage that comma instead of a hyphen had done. So kids, if you are importing plants that are non-fruit bearing, check to see if there's a comma or a hyphen. That means at the federal level, there is a precedent for punctuation mattering in whether or not you're liable for things. Oh. Now let's talk about the Oxford comma, also known as the serial comma. The, uh... We, in this household, we believe in the Oxford comma. Yes. Uh, Austin and I would not be married if he were to argue against the Oxford comma. I can't even joke about arguing against the Oxford comma. I made a joke about it once, and she stabbed me. 
<laughs> with an Oxford comma that I just conjured out of out of the air. She uh, she actually carries around some several sharpened metal Oxford commas <laughs> that she throws like shuriken. Yeah, and you know they're Oxford commas because they are made at the University of Oxford. Yep, it's <laughs> England's uh, most prestigious export. So I'm a big believer in it because I can't think of a situation in which the Oxford comma would make something less clear. And the only response I've seen from the people who are anti-Oxford comma are, well, only idiots would find this unclear. Well, here's the thing. Being an idiot isn't illegal. Yeah. But choosing to do something or choosing not to do something that could help clarify your point might be illegal. Yeah. It's like that whole uh, the strippers JFK and Stalin. Yep. It's like the strippers could be JFK and Stalin. Or it could be the strippers, comma, JFK, comma, and Stalin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't think of a single reason an Oxford comma would make something less clear. Especially when you're doing um, groupings of things that have conjunctions with them. Like, I don't know, um, pineapples, comma, apples and oranges, comma, and potatoes. Uh, this sounds like every uh, salad recipe that my very Midwestern family makes. That's mm-hmm. just the ingredient list. Because, like, in my mind, like the apples and the oranges are in one bag together. Yeah. Like, so they have to be. They have to have an and. But if you don't have the Oxford comma, then you think it says apples and oranges and potatoes as three separate things when they're not. It like I love this stuff, guys. Like, if I had a video behind me, I would be going through all of this with you. If you ever want to like talk grammar with me. I would love to. If you can think of a valid reason other than only idiots won't understand to fight against the Oxford comma, I'm willing to listen. I don't. Th- I'm not. I don't. I can't see a reason I'd change my mind, but I'm at least willing to listen because I'm not that kind of person. She's never listened to me, so this is a big, big offer. What? Oh. Yeah. So, like I was saying, being an idiot isn't illegal, and leaving anything remotely ambiguous or vague remotely can cost you lots of money. This happened to the Oakhurst Dairy in Portland, Maine. This is recent, like 2015, I think, when their company's policies came into conflict with state law. State law said overtime wasn't due for workers involved in, quote, the canning, comma, processing, comma, preserving, comma, freezing, comma, drying, comma, marketing, comma, storing, comma, packaging for shipment or distribution of agricultural produce, meat and fish products, and perishable foods. There is no comma after shipment or being the one that is the final thing in in the series of items. The truckers said that since there wasn't a comma after shipment, it made it unclear whether the law exempted the distribution of those foods or the packing for distribution of those foods. The comma after shipment would have made it clear that both packing and distribution were exempt from overtime. The lawyer who ran their case said that the comma was the only reason they won, and that missing Oxford comma cost the company $5 million. And the missing Oxford comma wasn't the fault of the company. It was the fault of the state law. But the company should have read the fine print a little more closely and contacted the state. At every level, you got to pay attention to this. Yeah, it's again, you got to fight your corporate overlords. This is exactly why you need to learn grammar, is to overthrow capitalism and corporate America. I'm not going to confirm or deny that I have ever done this. <laughs> I will say it is very important to always thoroughly read your con- your contract for anything you're doing, whether it's buying a car, leasing an apartment, uh, getting a job. And if they seem annoyed by you asking questions, you do not want to sign that contract because they are hiding something in that contract. Like, oh, I don't know, being on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week with no pay for things that are typically paid. Then let's talk about and or. Oh. I love and or. I'm a big fan personally. I think it really clarifies if a combination of all the above or just one of any of them can uh, be the the affected thing. This is a case where ambiguity is the issue, not vagueness. Vagueness is where the language or vocabulary itself is open to interpretation, where ambiguity is about thinking everything is obvious, like the Oxford comma argument. uh, And on the surface, it is to you. And to the group that is writing this with you. But someone with a different life or set of experience uh, with that same basic idea could interpret it in a totally different way. Which is why it's a pretty good idea to also have outsiders look at things. 
So when and is the only option, it heavily implies that all items on a list are considered together. So if I was to be like, I'm going to make some grilled cheese. Austin, go to the store and get me Swiss cheddar and Prevel. What do I expect you to come home with? Uh, Swiss cheese, cheddar cheese, and Prevel cheese. Yes. Did I give you an option to not come home with one of those? You did not. However, in some cases, and has legally been considered a way of looking at things independently. A suggested fix to this is in most cases or including but not limited to. Now, the legalese around this was so confusing, and I couldn't find a simpler way to break it down in the amount of time I had to research. Uh, I've written on things like this before, and it's a lot easier in writing to kind of get your point across because you can use visuals and all of that. I can't do that. So just remember that and has sometimes been considered ambiguous. Then we have or. If I said Austin, go to the store to get cheddar, Swiss, or Prevel cheese. I would be getting one of the three types of cheeses. Yeah, you could theoretically just get one. There'd be no consequence. You could get all three. I'm not stopping you. It's true. She would never stop me from buying cheese. Mm -hmm. But there's that ambiguity caused by multiple things, mainly an if-then situation. Uh, In St. John's Law Review, an example is either the mailman hasn't got here yet or there's no mail for us today. There is really no ambiguity. There's like, when I said it to Austin, there is no ambiguity. I want you to get one of these. Mm Mm-hmm. But there are situations in which or is ambiguous. So both and and or independently can be ambiguous. If I said to Austin, I need you to get cheddar, Swiss, and or Provel, what am I expecting to bring home? A combination of those cheeses. Or just one of them. Yeah. There is no wrong answer here. I'm sure there is. Yes, the answer is, oh, I purposely didn't get Provel. That is the wrong answer. Like like St. Louis is weird, so I didn't get Provel. And then I kick him in the nuts. My sandwich yesterday had Provel cheese on it. It was real good. Um, But technically, any combination of those is fine because I gave him an and or. But when it comes to and or, a lot of legal minds are on the side side of never using it. They think it somehow makes it less clear. However, Austin and I both know that when you're dealing with banks, and or and and or are very important. So for instance, on our joint bank account, if we had and... On anything major, we would both have to be there to sign off on it. If we had or, it could mean one of us can go there and do it. If it said and or, it means one or both of us can do it. And also in the and or situation, the bank could, I guess, technically say both of you need to be here for this one. You don't really want the and if there's a good chance you'll be getting, uh, one of you will die. Because that's going to be a bigger battle with your um, with your bank to get the money out. You don't really want an or if there's a good chance you'll get divorced. <laughs> because that means the other person could legally go drain the bank account. And from experience, I'm too nice of a person to not do that. You should have done it. You should have done sh- it. I should have done it. Uh, so, Austin, you better look out. Better not divorce me because I will do it this time. Yeah, she will. She will. So, and or seems to often be the safest way to, ra- safest way to go. Um now, as a non-lawyer, I will advise prenups or postnups if you are wealthy enough for, to warrant one. If Austin and I win the lottery at some point, we've agreed to a postnup. Yeah. And we've also agreed that everything will be decided via Mario Kart. Yes, we decided that before marriage, and Austin has realized it was a big mistake. I, it's You know, she is way better at Mario Kart than I thought she was, but you know what? I said it. I'm going to stick to it, because, you know... Unlike your ability to stick to the roads in Mario Kart. Hey... Those are shortcuts. <laughs> Into the water. Yeah. Uh, so what they're suggesting instead of and or is to use a series of ors. This or this or both. How is that different from and or? I don't. Like, I, th- I have a feeling it comes from back when things were like literally printed with ink and things could smudge more easily. Yeah. Like, I feel like this is one of those antiquated rules. All right. And you ready for the most exciting one? Oh, with bated breath. Because you know what this is. What is it? The meaning of is. Oh, President Clinton, I didn't see you there. (laughs) If you were vaguely aware of the world in 1998, you knew about the impeachment hearings surrounding President Bill Clinton. I am not here to talk about the impeachment hearings because that is a whole other story. (gasps) What if I do a quick little segue? Sure. It was in a homeroom class in middle school and... A very innocent classmate of ours raised her hand to ask the teacher, what is oral sex? We weren't... No, no, O.J. Simpson was elementary school. This was middle school, yeah. Yep. Oh, no, that poor teacher. That poor teacher. 
What did the teacher do? I think they deflected. I think that's that, the, which was the smart move. I think that would definitely be a um, ask your parents question. Yeah. It's like, or I probably would have moved into it's like, why are you asking? It's like it's like don't Google it. Well, yeah, they, they, that wasn't yeah. really an option, but it's like if you, especially if you were talking about the impeachment trial at the time, which I would imagine was yes. happening, it's like that is more a question for your parents or for the school nurse. That is not something to talk that I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not within my area of educational expertise yeah (laughs) okay back to your thing uh so clinton was called in front of a grand jury he was asked quote whether or not mr bennett knew of your relationship with miss lewinsky the statement that there was quote no sex of any kind in any manner shape or form with president clinton unquote was an utterly false statement is that correct First of all, that is the most confusingly worded question yeah, ever. A bad question. And Clinton, I deleted the exact thing that he said. Um, but Clinton basically responded with, it depends on what the meaning of is is. Now that became a huge fucking joke. Because everybody knows the meaning of is, right? Mm-hmm. You gotta be an idiot not to know the meaning of is. Being an idiot is not Against illegal. The law. Illegal. You can be an idiot all you want. Thank you. As long as you don't do something illegal, it's not illegal to be an idiot. And in this case, Clinton was being an absolute genius. I, this whole time, have been defending his correctness. Now, this is not a political statement, and it is certainly not a statement defending what he did to Monica Lewinsky. It is a statement saying his, que- his response of the definition of is was a genius fucking move. You know, it was not a genius fucking move. What? His relationship with Monica Lewinsky. Um, But that's the part that everyone focuses on. That's not where he ended. The next part. Squirrel on the roof. Ghost walking on the roof. Reindeer on the roof. It's the wrong time of year for reindeer. We just watched the Candace Cameron Christmas movie. We confused Santa. He's bringing us presents. I could. We, hey, we got unexpected presents earlier today. We did. So this is what Clinton said after that. Um, I'm delete. I'm shortening a lot of this because it was a long testimony, and I'm not. I'm leaving out some of the questions he was asked because the, everything flows together. So Clinton said, "If the if he if is means is, and never has been, that is not that is one thing. If it means there is none, that was a completely true statement. So that's really confusing. I'll sum it up in at the end of this. So, but if uh, basically." He was saying if is means is and never has been or is is not currently like those are different things. And then he went on to say, I'm not even sure that when Mr. Bennett made that statement that I was concentrating on the exact words he used. Now, if someone had asked me on that day, are you having any kind of sexual relations with Ms. Lewinsky? That is asked me a question in the present tense. I would have said no. And it would have been completely true. Because what tense is is in? Present. Yes. Then he was asked, I want to make sure I understand, Mr. President. Do you mean today that you were not engaging with sexual activity with Miss Lewinsky during the deposition that the statement of Mr. Bennett might literally be true? This guy is not good at phrasing questions. No, sir. I mean that at the time of the deposition, it had been that it was well beyond any point of improper contact between me and Miss Lewinsky. So that anyone generally speaking in the present tense saying there is not an improper relationship would be telling the truth if that person said there was not in the present tense. The present tense encompassing many months. That's what I meant by that. So he grammared the way out of this question. He would later say... I didn't lie. I just didn't offer extra information. Yeah. Which is what they were trying to get him to do was offer additional information about his sexual relationship, with, which is not what he was asked about. He was asked, did your lawyer say this? At one point, he also said, why are you asking me what my lawyer said and not asking my lawyer what I said? I'm like, also true. Yeah. And then there was a whole thick hold back and forth about, well, why don't you remember what Mr. Bennett said? Do you remember every conversation you've ever had? Also, I came in expecting questions to be asked of me and not my lawyer, so I was caught off guard. So in other words, one, Clinton couldn't say whether or not something is true, um, what was said was true, because he can't, can't quote verbatim what was said. He can't say that, what, that, that 
his lawyer actually did say that because it could be perjury if he said, oh, yes, he definitely did slash did not say that. He doesn't remember. So if you're asking, is that correct? The answer is, I don't know. What, and also, what are you asking me is about? Two, if he's being asked that it is true that he wasn't having sex with Miss Lewinsky at the time of his deposition, the answer of no was, in fact, true. He did not, at the time of that deposition, have a sexual relationship with her. It's a very literal interpretation, but it's an important one. It's the difference between are you now, have you ever, and will you in the future? It was a question of the present tense. That exchange alone would be enough to shed reasonable doubt for me. Yeah. Also, that lawyer was terrible at asking questions. This is one of my favorite things ever. I, Bill Clinton had no right to do what he did to Monica Lewinsky and what he may or may not have done to other women, depending on what stories you've heard. He had no right to hurt his family that way. But legally, he had every right to answer the question this way. And grammatically, he was answering the question correctly. <laughs> <laughs> and then here's a personal one for me. Violators will be towed at owner's expense. I've always been bothered when I've pulled into a place that said violators will be towed at owner's expense. If you're in a parking lot and you see this line, it doesn't actually mean anything. Violator. A car cannot make the decision to violate something, so it cannot be a violator. That means the person has to be towed. <laughs> Owner. Owner of what? The car. The sign. It doesn't say violator will be towed at its owner's expense, which would, which would at least kind of specify the car. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean the owner of the violator, which also, again, if we go back to violators have to be people, we've got a whole other problem. Apostrophes. Sometimes the apostrophe doesn't exist. Sometimes it's singular. Sometimes it's plural. If it's plural and the car has only one owner, but the business or parking lot has multiple, it has to default by mean the owners of the owners of the business. Because, like, I am the owner of the car we both share. We have one owner. But if it says at owner's expense, owner's apostrophe at the end, well, we only have one owner of this car, so you must clearly mean the owners of this business. Yeah. Additional expenses. It says that you are responsible for the cost of the towing, not for any additional costs incurred by the towing, such as damage to your car or holding costs at the tow lot. And there have also been cases where having the word owner in there and interpreting owner as the owner of the car means people who have been carjacked or had their vehicle stolen are legally responsible for the towing costs, not the person who carjacked them or stole their car. And if they don't have a towing company visibly listed somewhere, I feel like that should just be car theft. Yeah. <laughs> I searched for lawsuits on this. There are none. Ooh, none. There are lawsuits Yet. all over the place about the legality of this practice. And actually, it's been ruled illegal many, 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 many times. But I couldn't find any on grammar. I did, however, find one statute that talked both about parking laws and business laws. And the word owner was only defined as the owner of the business. Ergo. The business is the one who bears the expense of towing your car. Yes, which is why if your car is ever towed, read your local laws very carefully. I'm not giving legal advice as a, because I am not a lawyer. I'm just giving general good advice. Always read the fine print and see where you can find the loopholes. And also chances are that if you go to contest it, uh, the other party won't, won't show up to court and therefore you'll be refunded your money. But um, don't count on that. And also don't park illegally just to find out about yeah, any of this. This, this, is not, this is definitely not a fuck around and find out situation. No, a lot of things in my life are fuck around and find out. Like the time I almost got into a fist fight with a bunch of frat bros at the zoo. But <laughs> this they, one. They all had strong opinions about penguins. No, they were being just very rude and cut off a whole lane of traffic. And I honked at them. And they basically said, come out and fight us. And I said to our friend Julie, who's list who listens, uh, so hi Julie. I handed her my my Starbucks. I think my last words very well could have been hold my hold my latte. <laughs> and I opened my door and I stood up. Now remember, these are frat bros, and this was ten ish years ago. So I looked like I was thirteen. Their eyes got like so size of saucers, and they ran. It <laughs> It was me versus like three or four of them. One of them drove because he was in the car. The rest of them ran. And I'm like, call their bluff. Yeah. Um, unlike the other time I had guys do that who were a bunch of skinheads, I did not call their bluff. I did not get out of my vehicle. Also, fuck around and find out is the way I'm going to die. I always assumed it was going to be nacho explosion. That might be part of fuck around and find out. Yeah. 
So I'm not suggesting you ever purposely break the law or a regulation to find out if you can find a loophole. I'm just saying that if you find yourself on the receiving end of what you think is an, ir- an irresponsible contract or law or something, you don't have to accept it until you're sure. Because sometimes going back and reading the fine print, even of what you already signed, can get you out of stuff because of vagueness, ambiguity, missing commas, ands and ors, the definition of is, who owners and violators are. I actually used to teach my students look for loopholes because I was a very responsible teacher of 11-year-olds. Loopholes are there for a reason. And it's their responsibility to close them. You're just helping. It's always important to learn that adults can be wrong. And loopholes are the most fun way to learn that. Uh Uh-huh. Now, I could go on for this about this for days. I have 22 sources, which is easily (laughs) five times more than what I usually have. Um, I didn't even cover contract law, which is a shitstorm. It is. I love how we talk about it like there are kids listening. And then I'm like, and I do know that there are kids who listen. But you know what? You've heard all these words before. Yeah. Um, it's like I used to say it's to my contract students. Contract law? What is that? <laughs> it's like I used to say to my students, I'm like, guys, we're watching a movie today. There's a bad word in it. We'll get through this together. Because it's, get over it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not like I'm teaching them. Like, there, there are certain words I didn't learn until I was 17. Those were not the words I was using in class. Yeah, uh, those are the words that I learned playing with my grandma on Scrabble. Yes. So there are two things I want you to walk away with. One is that grammar, vocabulary, and clarity are super important in legal terms. And now this may all fly in the face of my early episode on logical fallacies. Logical fallacies and the law are two different things. And the spirit of the law and the letter of the law are two different things. Some judges like to rule in the spirit of the law. Other ones like to rule in the letter of the law. If you are writing a contract, make sure your letter and your spirit line up. Two. Always read everything thoroughly. Grammar matters. Spelling matters. Punctuation matters. And yes, there are situational aspects, but when it comes to the law, don't fuck around to find out. No. Are you ready for some questions? I I feel like you'd be very careful answering this. It's just yes or no about whether or not something will be on a test. Okay. The spirit of the law and the letter of the law aren't the same. Yes. Misplaced or non-existent commas have cost companies and governments millions of dollars. Yes. Past, present, and future tenses are super important. They will be. Yes. Grammar is situational, and we actually need to chill out a lot. Yeah. And that's coming from me. I have literally screamed about grammar. Passersby? Oh, passerbys? Passerbys. But that was somebody who was getting paid for that word. Yeah. Um, And always read the fine print. Yes. So that is your introduction to why you need to actually pay attention to grammar class in school. Wow. It could, it could save you, mil- it could get you millions of dollars if you know It could else's. save millions, it could get you millions, and there were a couple things I went by that people got put in jail, or out of jail, Ooh. because the letter of the law and the spirit of the law were not the same. So that was my, okay, so that was literally two pages shorter than normal. How much longer did I go than normal? About ten minutes longer than usual. But, you know, we, we are passionate about grammar in this household. For fuck's sake, yes. Well, I mean, you're passionate enough for both of us about grammar. Yep. But don't worry, I'm going to talk about something I'm passionate about. History and weird shit we didn't learn in it. Mm Mm-hmm. So this week, I'm actually going back really far in history. So far back that I can't even cite Pliny the Elder. Oh, wow. Like, we're talking thousands of years before Pliny was even born. I'm going to talk about one of the earliest large civilizations the indus valley civilization or the harappan civilization because the harappa was the first site that english archaeologists excavated in india so uh now we learn a lot about ancient civilizations i vaguely remember the indus valley coming up yeah i was like mostly we learned about the that the mesopotamians existed and we learned a lot about egypt and greece yeah, I remember actually being vaguely surprised that Egypt still existed because we never talked about it past the like pyramids and stuff. Yeah. I also remember being very surprised that Egypt was in Africa because that was for some reason never brought up. Okay. Uh, there, actually, uh, a repressed memory came up this week because like they're showing like old uh, textbook covers. And one of them was the world history textbook I remember from sixth grade mm-hmm. that had the 
whitest white man as the pharaoh of Egypt on the cover. Uh. Yeah, it was, we're talking like blonde haired, blue eyed, white pharaoh. So anyway, yeah, we learned a, we learned a bit about those. And in high school, I also learned. I had a delayed joke. They made him the pharaohist of them all. (laughs) That was a good one. (coughs) I'm choking now. Uh, Yeah. And in high school, I learned a bit about ancient China. But literally, all I remember learning was that they did a lot of impressive things. But we did not cover what those impressive things were. Only that they did some of the impressive things. I remember something about gunpowder and fireworks. But I don't even know when that was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the Harappans, like... I just know that it was in what is modern-day India, which isn't even true. It's mostly in Pakistan. So, by the way, uh, yeah. By the way, in recent learn- years, I have heard about how like, in school we largely ignored the accomplishments made by cultures outside of Europe and America, with Egypt being like the one exception. Yeah, and a lot of it is we look, we learn about Egypt kind of like through what the white archaeologists have done. Yeah, and. Like, the more I, like, research stuff for this podcast, the more that statement kind of stands out in my mind. I was reading also a list of, like, ridiculous customer service experiences yesterday, and one of them was an Egyptian guy who was doing customer service, <laughs> and the person yelled at him, fuck you and your pyramids. <laughs> and he was like, he's like, I think I was complimented because I was, I was paired with one of the ancient wonders of the world. So... And this, like, the fact that this civilization isn't covered is pretty baffling, which I'm going to talk about what makes them so interesting. So what is it that makes them so interesting? Well, I'm glad you asked. I mean, I know you didn't, in fact, not ask. This is a podcast. That's not how this works. Hey, they could have... I I once had a girl I went to college with who would ask questions as she listened to anything and read, and she would ask them to herself and then, like, have reactions. So they could be doing that. Oh, so it's like I'm having a really one-way conversation with somebody. Also, I had to move away from her because it was so distracting. I mean, learn how you need to learn. That's great. But maybe sit far away from people if that's the way you learn. Kind of like when I need to run around because I've got ADHD, I go to the back and walk around the back. So, like, to start off with, this civilization was absolutely massive. Uh, Hundreds of sites have been found along the Indus River Valley uh, from the coast of India up into Pakistan and Afghanistan. Um, And, and like, you know, and... Artifacts dating from 3300 to 1300 BCE. And it covered an area of about 38,000 square miles, roughly twice the size of Spain. You say 38,000? Sorry, 380,000. I was impressed by (laughs) 38,000. Yeah. Yeah, I I misspoke. 380,000. It's a big... I was thinking misspoken like it was 3,800. No. Huge area. Um... And it had somewhere in the ballpark of 5 million people living in it. That's way bigger than a ballpark. Yeah. The uh, two largest cities that we have found, Mohenjo-Daro and Harappan, mm-hmm. uh, have had incredibly massive populations of about thirty to 40,000 people in each. Uh, now, that doesn't seem that big to modern people because like thirty to 40,000 is a smallish suburb of a big city. Mm-hmm. But like in ancient time, that was huge. When like, like imagine what a percentage of the worldwide population that was. Yeah, and just like at this time, like a lot of the big cities we learned about and have found predating this one, the big ones were around ten thousand people. This was three to four times that size. Yeah, and you know, Mohenjo-daro is the largest city we have found from this time period by far. And they were big, but that's not what makes them interesting. What makes them interesting is how. They more closely resemble modern people than any other ancient society we've learned about. For starters, they were a more equal society. If you look at Egypt, Mesopotamia, all those other places, they had strict authoritarian social hierarchy with like a king or a priest king or a religion of something heading up everything I and really ancient, driving. I thought the ancient Greeks were the most like us because they invented democracy. Oh, no. No, they were not like us. But democracy. But democracy. Yeah. And all of these like big works they had were either driven by a king wanting a palace or a large burial site or a religious pri- a religious practice dictating the building of a large temple or a religious site. So that's what was building all of this. In the Harappan sites, we found no large royal tombs, palaces, or expansive temple structures. Like, the closest there is, is in Mohenjo-Daro, there is a large public bath 
that might have had some sort of ritual bathing purpose to it. Public baths were a thing until yeah. until the 1900s, though. Like, that's, and, that's a thing. Yeah, and most houses actually had a kind of private bathing room, which it was just a, like, waterproofed slanted floor so the water would drain out of it into... And like they think that they practice some sort of ritual bathing, but that's as close as we can find to like a major religious structure dictating everything. And even then, it could just be we didn't feel like being dirty. Yeah. So it's like it might have been a religious ritual bathing. It might not have been. It might have just been a cleanliness is important. It's like yeah, and people still refer to things as like their morning shower as part of their morning ritual. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, in these like shower, these like basically bathrooms, these bathing rooms. They have found clay children's toys in these bathing areas, including a sculpture of a waterfowl, meaning that these, this had the earliest ancestor of the modern rubber ducky. That is so cool. Yeah. So these kids would, kids would play in the bath. Uh, there were actually also staircases built in some of these like bathing rooms so that someone could climb up these stairs and dump water on you from above. So it really was just kind of like a proto shower. Uh, but yeah, these the most of their big structures though were planned public works. Uh, like they had a network of north south aligned streets, so the streets were built on a grid. Uh, they dug wells and planned locations of these wells with future growth in mind. Like in Mohenjo-daro, there were hundreds of wells dug, but they were all dug at the same time with the idea that this city was going to grow. So there were not wells dug from outside of this initial expansion. They planned on growing, and they built their city with the fact that they were going to have more people in mind. So kind of the opposite of what our town has done. Yes. Or just all American cities, really. Uh, well, what was it? Like, New York, we built this city so you can find your way around Boston because fuck you. Yeah. Oh, Boston, I miss you. Yeah. Uh, they, they, and by the way, when they built, built all this stuff, they even had a standardized brick size. That was used across this entire civilization. Like we'll find stuff in like in the southern parts and in Afghanistan, they're the exact same sizes. And it wouldn't mean that it was just like one brick manufacturer making all these bricks because that wouldn't like even now that would be insane. Mm -hmm. But this was obviously they had a dictated law describing how what size bricks would be so that buildings would be uniform. Which like you know it worked because a lot of these structures are still standing. And uh, they also had flood protections built into all these cities because they were all in this river valley. So flooding was a problem. So uh, they kind of built the cities on platforms, and they would also build walls to help mitigate flooding. And even more importantly, they had a special area outside of the main city that was raised extra high that it held important buildings like granaries to protect them further from flooding. So that way, if there was a major flood, like you may have lost houses and stuff, but the food stores were still there, so you would not have massive starvation on top of them. It would make a lot more sense, though, and since we never learned about them, if they had built their city on rock and roll. Yeah. Because, I mean, we say we don't know them or recognize their face. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. And, like, the English archaeologists that found these described them as citadels, thinking it was some sort of, like, defensive structure. But, like, we haven't found a lot of effort, like, evidence of, like, major warfare or, like, even, like, big attacks on any of these cities. They think these were just massive structures that, by the way, uh, they, did some, they, they did some estimates. It probably would have taken about 10,000 workers working every day for over a year to simply build the brick and earth foundations these were built on. That sounds like the beginning of one of those horrible math problems. If you've got 10,000 workers, it takes them this long. Yeah. It's if, like you, if you've got, but if you've got 20,000 workers, how long will it take? Uh, not enough information are those workers that working at an equal speed. Do they have access to the same resources? Yeah, that's why I said estimate. And so they like these big structures that weren't built for like the vanity of a priest or king. These were built for the public good so that people's lives would be better. And remember when I mentioned that they had bathing rooms built into their houses? Um, they also had plumbing, indoor plumbing. Very cool. There was a covered sewer system in each city that was connected to each house including upper stories. They had brick, like basically chimneys for sewage from second stories that would go down into the sewer system. Let me guess, this civilization has been featured on Ancient Aliens a few times. As far as I can tell, it has not. Wow. Yeah, I don't think Ancient Aliens knows they exist. Maybe that's more proof that the Ancient Aliens did go there, and that's why we don't learn about them, because yep. the Ancient Aliens 
don't want us to know about their involvement. So, like, in this society from, like, 2,000 years BCE, they had a better way of managing waste coming out of upper stories than they did in Victorian England, where people would just toss timber chop chamber pots out the window yeah that's why it was always considered more polite for men to walk on the outside of the sidewalks yeah. so yeah and that's also why you more commonly hear men called shitheads Ooh. i don't know if that's true or not but i mean how often do you hear yeah. women call it called a shithead very rarely usually because women aren't doing shithead behavior <laughs> usually <laughs> so there were even uh very simple like brick and stone toilets which this is just what's left we don't know if there was anything else on them but they had actual like just bench toilets for you to sit on that would connect it to the sewer system. I'm actually thinking about like how much more efficient in some ways this kind of sewer system is because how often do toilets get clogged? Like, Yeah. I mean, it's not perfect. No. But it's better than like, most of the world at the time. And this might have been why these cities were able to get so large. They had this sanitary system that would have been enough to prevent just a whole litany of diseases. Yeah. They, like, they had their waste handled appropriately yeah. and they bathed regularly. Yeah. They even actually had pots buried in the streets that you could just put your garbage into. They had public trash cans out there for people to use so there wouldn't be litter in the streets. We still haven't figured that out around here. Yeah. And they even like they think that these were even routinely emptied too. So they had a system for dealing with street rubbish. They also had pets. Uh, we have found clay figurines and statues of dogs with collars and... We found um, cat tracks that were left in wet clay. <laughs> of course. They used spices. Uh, we have found cinnamon, peppercorns, and just other site spices on, at these sites. So, like, India has been all about the spices since the dawn of time where we have found them. They also didn't own slaves. Uh, we have zero evidence of slavery. And India was really not big into slavery just at all throughout their entire history. Like... There's, like, very few instances. Yeah, like, the caste system is rough enough without adding that into it. Yeah. And again, as I mentioned earlier, they were pretty peaceful. It's like, there's not really evidence of large military forces or them conquering nearby civilizations. They just, they're, uh, they, we have found weapons and stuff because there's always going to, especially in ancient times, there's always going to be a need for weapons. Yeah, not just for people either. Like Yeah, animals and all this stuff. So mm -hmm. there was, there was, there is some weaponry, but, like, not a large military force. They were more interested in trade than warfare. Uh, they even traded with the nearby hunter-gatherer peoples uh, rather than exterminating them like they did in Egypt and Mesopotamia. Yeah, what's the point in just like being like, you know what, see those people over there? I'm gonna kill them. It's like, whoa, 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 they're stealing our cattle? We gotta do this. And it's like, no, we'll trade with them. Because they would go out and gather goods like honey and spices and bring those in to trade for manufactured goods, livestock, and grain. Yeah, it's also like, Maybe they didn't know they were your cattle. Yeah. Maybe they were just like, we're hunter-gatherers. We have we found these animals. There's also evidence of international trade routes, both over land and over sea, going west into Mesopotamia. See, the first one I remember learning about with that was the... Was China? Yeah. This was thousands of years before that. I know. And I don't want to get the, the word for it wrong. The uh, Silk Road? Yeah, that's what yeah. I was thinking. Yeah, this is way well, well before that. Uh, there are actually written Mesopotamian records of what they called Maluha, which was the Mesopotamian word for the Harappans, we're pretty sure, uh, trading livestock, grain, and spices for manufactured goods and other raw materials. And also, the Harappans being able to transport bulk goods like livestock and grain also implies that they had fairly advanced boats to be able to transport such a large cargo. So we heard a little bit of the Mesopotamians, but we never heard about the Harappans. Nothing. And, zilch. The, and were they the more advanced of the two? Were they uh, by far. Okay. Like better boats. Like we were finding the same type of tools manufactured on both sites. They had a larger trade network, larger cities that covered a larger area. And like they even had an outpost way north of everything else that they have found in Afghanistan that was primarily there for mining lapis lazuli, which is a decorative blue stone. Um, it is also a crystal that's supposed to have certain powers, and I definitely have a couple of them downstairs. Well, archaeologists have not found lapis used in Harappan sites. So this suggests that they were mining it simply as a valuable trade good to trade to other places. It's so pretty, Austin. I'll it find is. it later and show it to you. Uh, I've seen it. 
You haven't seen mine. And I have not seen yours. Because I like rocks. And, but I hide my rocks. And like when I was talking about Mesopotamia and why we learned so much about them, it's because, oh, they had their writing, their cuneiform tablets. Well, the Harappans also had a system of writing. Uh, this is actually what got British archaeologists interested in finding these sites. Because the British had been finding all of these clay seals with an unknown writing and pictures of animals on them for decades in India. And had no idea what they were about and didn't fully investigate them until 1911. <laughs> uh, that might be why we don't learn about them, really. It's because uh, they are, like, archaeolo- archaeologically speaking, a fairly recent discovery. And the British Museum didn't get a- as long to pillage these sites <laughs> I was to, about to bring everything to their museums I as was, they did in other places. I was very much hoping you'd phrase it that way because otherwise yes. I would have to correct you. Even the British make jokes about this. Yeah. Also, do you know the British Museum is supposed to be like crazy haunted? Yeah. Because a lot of things, and some of it's like, you know, normal, all museums are haunted. Like, you won't convince me otherwise. But especially because there's stuff there like, hey, this is not where I'm supposed to be, asshole. Yeah. And by the way, this was the most ridiculous thing. Previously, they had like noticed these sites. They had seen them. They actually had like harvested bricks from Harappan cities and sites in order to help build railroads in the area. And the entire time, like, the, the assumption was that Alexander the Great had come this far east and had built these things. That was the honest-to-God assumption from people. Uh, one archaeologist in 1861 had described the, like, the Harappan city, like, they, they first excavated these clay tablets, as being something foreign from India. So it was like something outside of India had clearly done them. And Alexander the Great was, uh, was white, correct? Uh, he was... He was Macedonian, so white-ish. Because all I can think is the reason that we don't learn about this is because there's no way people who weren't white could do something like this. Yeah. And our best guess is that these were something similar to a license or permit, like all these clay tablets we found, because they are very uniform, and they use a lot of symbols over and over. It's uniform cuneiform? Uniform cuneiform. And this this probably only represents a small portion of what was written, but these clay tablets and seals are just what has survived the thousands of years. Yeah, um, if you've ever done anything with clay, y'all know it is not the sturdiest of materials. Yeah, and another reason we probably don't learn about them, even though they have this written language, is that unlike, you know, uh, Greek hieroglyphics or cuneiforms, we don't know how to translate them. We have not found something like the Rosetta Stone that was able to help us translate what they're saying with these. So we don't know what any of these say. So they're saying... That it's a challenge. Kind of yeah. like how people have finally started translating the zodiac symbols and it's just random people who are figuring it out. Are these posted online so I can figure this out? Probably. I mean, you do need a new project, don't you? Uh, yeah, kind of. And of course, the other like big unknown, other than we don't know what any of these tablets say or much about what their writings were in, were in general, is we don't know why they abandoned these cities. Because we know that they did sometimes ar- sometime around... Uh, 1,300, like, these sites were abandoned around that time. We now, don't know why. Do we have evidence of where they went? Kind of. Or is it a Roanoke situation? So, yeah, like, our best guess is, like, we know that they weren't conquered because there's no evidence of warfare in the area, but it was probably some combination of civil strife, disease, climate change, and crop failure that just drove them to abandon these sites. Uh, one possibility is that the river that most of their settlements are on had started to dry up. Because a majority of these sites aren't on the actual Indus River itself. They are on the Gagar-Haka River. And we can see a bunch of, from the geological records, that it used to be a much larger river and has dried to an absolute trickle compared to what it once was. So the archaeologists speculate that Harappan people either joined smaller communities in the area once the river dried up and it couldn't really support their cities like it had before, or they migrated east to settle along the Ganges. It's too bad that they weren't able to rebuild like the way they had before. Because can you imagine how much farther along civilization would be? Oh, yeah. Plumbing. Yeah. Like, like sanitary stuff alone like they had. Like this could have prevented the plague. Yeah. Well, not the plague, but definitely a few plagues. And dysentery. Cholera. Which... If you want to learn more about cholera, listen to our past episode. Yeah, listen to our episodes about hand washing. That's an early one. That's one of my favorites, though. I thought it was really interesting. So yeah, there you have it. It's like a recent, by history standards, discovery that was surprising for me to learn about. Just all of the stuff 
I didn't know that we have learned about this ancient society that is just so much more relatable than like the Epic of Gilgamesh. So why did you choose this topic? I had like, I had like, oh, I haven't really learned about this. Like, and also it's like, we cover a lot of stuff that, ha- that that takes place in Europe and America just because that's what's easily available to us and what we yeah. have just kind of happened upon. It's like I was going out of my way to try and like learn something that had happened in India and this was literally the first thing on the list that had it's like I had no idea about any of what this stuff was. Yeah, for me, like I find most of my topics from memes, from somebody saying something stupid on the internet. Yep. From somebody saying something smart on the internet. Uh from another podcast mentioning something in passing. I'm actually very... Okay, everybody t- tells me you need to listen to this podcast, that pod- that are similar to ours. I'm really afraid I'll accidentally lift something from them, so I actually avoid those. Although I do listen to mostly informative podcasts, but I pull things from their like side mentions, like, oh, there was also this thing, but that's not our topic today. I'm like, wait, I want to know more about that? Yeah. I actually really avoid listening to these podcasts that are supposed to be excellent because I don't want to accidentally lift something. So yeah, it's like my my big takeaway from this is why aren't we taught this? Like this was fascinating. Like ancient history can be very dull because it's like their motivations and stuff are so weird from us. Like, oh, hearing Pliny talk about all of his slaves that he'd have help him in the bath, not relatable, but like them talking about their, oh yeah, they had dogs and baths and they'd like, you know, had kids that would play in the bath and like, See, in that part, big public works, it's like, it relates to me. The kids playing in the bath is actually the most fascinating part of this to me, because historically, throughout much of the world, children have never been allowed to be children. Playing wasn't really a thing. It was, you know, imagination was not a thing. It was, yeah. even from the time you're little, you're expected to perform some sort of task. Well, these kids having bath toys, it clearly says that they understood that kids had this capacity for play and imagination yeah. and valued it enough to create clay clay toys that could survive being in water, which means it wasn't just clay, but it was fired clay. Like that to me is something I would want to learn the most about as, as what the family structure was here. Yeah. And, and also two story houses. What the hell? Yeah. Like, how many people were in their family? Like, I have so many questions, and which is why I need to just sit down and code break for them. Yeah. And so, are you ready for questions now? Yeah. All right. Will the fact that the Herapans had a full-on, like, city planning, sewer systems, and public works be on the test? No, because they didn't start democracy. Well, the British simply assumed Alexander the Great built all of this stuff and ignored it for decades rather than admitting that the natives could have built these things be on the test? Yes, but it won't be phrased like that. Yeah. Well, the fact that a Bronze Age society had a better grasp on planning cities with future growth in mind than every American suburb would be on the test? No. Well, the fact that India has understood and used spices ever since my ancestors were eating rotten fish in a fjord somewhere be on the test? Since yesterday? Yes. <laughs> they still eat rotten fishes in the fjords. Uh, Austin has made me try some of the rotten fish. It is unpleasant. <laughs> it is delicious. Pickled herring is wonderful. Pleasant. Well, yeah. Well, is that going to be on the test? Yeah. And, well, the fact that British colonists were building train tracks by taking apart a more advanced sewer system they had than that, what they had in London be on the test? They're literally doing that right now. Yeah. So, yes. There we go. I think we got two really interesting topics today. These are things that we can both question, why didn't we learn this in school? Like, yeah. I can't remember, because I know I had classmates asking, why do we have to learn this about grammar? And the teachers didn't really have an answer, which is fair, because it yep. is a hard question to answer. Because you don't want to answer it with, so you don't sound like an idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's that's like, not why. Um, it really like, is so that like, you So can, you can be clearly understood. Yeah, so you can be clearly understood. And I also, also always put in there, it's like, look, grammar isn't about removing your personal style. It's about you learning the rules so you can break them effectively. Because... There are plenty of times you'll want to break these rules and you need to just know how to do it correctly. Um, I also had kids sometimes ask, why do we learn X, Y, Z? And I would go with, I don't know, which it's just in the curriculum and I have to teach it. <laughs> I don't see a point in lying to them. And they like, they were always like, fair, fair answer. Um, and then yours, they're, the only reason I can think of that we didn't learn this is racism. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to come out and say it, but yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I will always come out and say it. Like. The reason that we didn't learn this is because, you know, Greeks are whiteish, like you said. Mm-hmm. So they could come up with stuff. The oh, Romans yeah. could come up with stuff. But these people were not white. They can't come up with stuff. Yeah. Especially if they didn't own slaves or do something else terrible. Yeah. It's like, it yeah. sounds like, oh, God, it was a peaceful society. A that peaceful society. Their that only what? mistake was not anticipating chi- climate change. 
Yeah. Which, I mean, also, boy, like, look at that. Uh, climate change uh, d- completely destroying their pe- their society. Oh, boy. But at least that was, a, like, a natural climate change that's supposed yeah. to happen. Yeah. But we actually don't know what caused it still, but we do know that the river is not as big as it was. Well, it's like, and we know throughout history we've had, you know, ice ages, and we've had, I don't know what the opposite of ice ages are oh, called, like, but... Like, um, like, how, like, the Mediterranean used to have, like, kind of a plug... And it kind of drained down really low and people started building on it. Then the plug got undone and it flooded and like suddenly killed a bunch of people. And there's all of these underwater like structures we're finding. That might be the city of Atlantis. Um, who was it who found the city of Atlantis re- recently? Was it Rob Riggle? Yeah, it was Rob Riggle. He found the city of Atlantis. I dreamt last night that we were watching a movie and all of these like famous actors were just popping in in the background. And you were like, there's that one. And one of them was Rob Riggle. And I'm like... What are you talking about? Because I didn't have my glasses on. Are you okay? Are you sure this was a dream and not just a memory? Did we watch a movie where just random actors were popping in in the background and like... Yeah, just Scream. Was that was that yesterday? Yeah. I mean, I mean was that actually... Ha- like, was Rob Riggle in the background of Scream, though? No, he wasn't. No. Like, no, I remember everybody was in Scream. I had my glasses on. <laughs> Scream is a quality movie. At the end of it, oh, we were like, God. find something bad about this movie I that's really not nitpicky. I am just married to Velma, aren't I? Um, and yet you're the one considering wearing a Velma costume to that party we're going okay, to. Okay, I've, I've been thinking about it. I can't find like a good sweater because all of the like orange turtleneck sweaters for men are like the slim fit ones. And Velma had the baggy orange I sweater. I can find you whatever you need. Let's discuss. We're going to a costume party and we need to dress like cartoon yeah. characters. Yeah, because one of my friends is turning 30. Oh my God. And making me realize how incredibly old I am. So we were talking like we need to wear... We need to dress like cartoon characters from our youths because they won't remember them. And we are, but they'll remember Scooby-Doo, so. Yeah, and like, it's so recognizable and they're such simple costumes, man. And we're talking about me going as Fred because I have the blonde hair. And me going as Velma because I have the glasses. But I have glasses too and I'm going to have to wear them and Fred was never, Fred never had glasses. Yeah. I guess you could be Velma and I could be Shaggy. You could be Scooby. Ruh-roh. <laughs> you could be, um... Oh my god, I just blanked on the other character's name. Uh, it doesn't matter. Daphne? Daphne, yeah. I can't pull off Daphne. I don't have the legs to be Daphne. Yeah, I still think we need to have some further discussion about this cartoon character thing we're choosing. Yeah. So let's go have that conversation and maybe eat some dinner because, as usual, I'm hungry. Okay. And on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed.